we refer patients to agencies that have frozen sperm that's been tested on guys who have you know, decided that they want to donate their sperm, typically anonymously. Mm -hmm. And Mm. so we refer them to these websites that have pictures of the guys from when they were little. And so I always tell my patients, go grab a friend and a bottle of wine and sit in front of your computer and look for Mr. Ray. Hey guys. Hey guys, and welcome back to Herspective. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. <laughs> Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year to everyone. Happy New Year to you. And you. Thanks, boo. 2020, the start of a new decade. That's pretty exciting. I feel like we're entering the roaring 20s. I love it so much. Yeah. I, I saw a meme about that earlier today. But uh, we definitely want to get everybody to send us their hilarious New Year's stories. Um, cause Absolutely. I know, based on some people's insta we saw some interesting stuff and hilarious stuff so send us any craziness that happened to you and before we get right into the show we just want to shout out our first partner so big thanks to intamo pleasurables for supporting her perspective start your 2020 sex life off right with intamo pleasurables amazing plant-based lubricants and massage oils they are infused with organic hemp seed and sesame oils these ingredients work together to warm you up and offer a silky smooth ride. Also, it helps to reduce any pain or friction. Right now, you can get your products at intamopleasurables.com with our coupon code for 20% off. Just put in Herspective20 at checkout. Yeah, honestly, these products we have used and can back up and we love them. Um, massage oil on point, lube on point. Yeah, they are. <laughs> we love it. They are true to what they say. They're amazing and they feel clean and not sticky and not gross. And, and I will say they don't, um, stain your sheets. <laughs> I know that is excellent. a thing. Yes. That is something I'm like a clean freak, but also a freak, <laughs> I yeah. guess. So it's like very conflicting, but I hate when my bed sheets are disgusting with lube and grossness right after. And that wasn't a problem. So <laughs> there's a good review. That is an amazing <laughs> review. People appreciate those reviews. I know. It, it, like it is a bit TMI, but, but I will I tell like, you. Yeah, I feel like people would be hesitant to purchase it if they think it'll stain their sheets like other lube. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Anything oily or greasy or gross. So yeah, that no, 100%. is the best testimonial yes. <laughs> don't forget to get yours at intamopleasurables.com and herspective 20 is a coupon code get them guys you won't be disappointed we promise 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 so yeah new year new year's resolutions what are your thoughts on them laura <laughs> i i don't really believe in them i think it is good to have goals like it's a good way to kind of give yourself a fresh start go into a new year with some goals that you're setting for yourself. But for me, I just realized that I've just learned so much about myself over that past year that then I think about that and I apply it moving into this next year. So I realized like, you know, I have a lot of gratitude for things in my life, my life in general, and I just want to be more thankful for what I do have that I like what I'm blessed for and so I will carry that with me through 2020 and obviously for you know more and more as the years go on but 
<laughs> I think what you mean is you, <laughs> you're so funny. Instead of trying to practice something for 2020, you just kind of incorporate better life practices. <laughs> no, I just mean like there's things that I don't really realize until like I sit down and kind of think about what that last year was like and what has happened and whatever. And then for this year I realized like you know I need to have a lot more gratitude for what I have so less of a resolution but more of like a practicing gratitude situation just like I mean I think that's good and I think that a lot of people most people that we talk to or or you read about or like you know even top CEOs the happiest people are the ones that practice daily gratitude like literally practice it yeah I think it's part of manifestation right so it it definitely like if you feel thankful and if you're like thankful for the things in your life and you tell yourself that and you're really like Mm -hmm. take a second to appreciate it you probably will feel more fulfilled and happier Yeah. yeah well if you look at your life look at our lives like look at everyone's life like we are so lucky there are so many horrible situations that we don't have and so we should be more thankful we should be practicing gratitude every day and I feel when I stop and think about like even the smallest things, like I'm so lucky I have all my fingers, you know, like yeah. something so small like that. I w- I never stop and think about. It. And it's like, imagine if you didn't, you know, yeah. everything so. you t- we take for granted yeah. a little bit we and literally take it for granted. And yeah, like, yeah, we could get really into it, like the fact that we can see and hear and yeah. walk. But for sure, I just yeah, like for me, I'm not really all about like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym three or four times a week. Like I will try to, but I'm not going to set myself up for that kind of failure. Well, the thing is <laughs> everyone that wants to, that's what it is. It is yeah. failure because if you wanted to go to the gym every day, three times a week, you would already do that in 2019. A new year is going to change nothing. It does not change your mentality. And, and even if it does, it's literally for like a month or a day. So yeah. we I, all I just think it's a little, it's bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I mean, I th- like I said at the beginning, it's good to have goals. And yeah. if you are like, okay, I do want to be a little bit healthier, I'll make small steps to achieving that. Like, if that does mean getting into the gym, don't decide that you have to get into the gym three to five times a week. And like, you're going to all of a sudden become like some fitness model. Like, no, and don't wait till 2020. Do it now. Like, yeah, exactly. I know it's only, you know. It doesn't matter, but there it shouldn't be a certain day that everything changes in your life because that's just really not sustainable or likely or possible. Well, I think it is possible, but it's just, yes, you're right. We don't have to wait till 2020, but I mean, it's now 2020. It's a, I think people just like to associate a fresh start with a fresh year. Like it's just yeah, it, everything's no, restarting. Sure. You get us, you know, a new chance if you want to put it that way. And um it's all fucking yeah, commercialized. Like, it is. You know, all the holidays are like, oh, it's a good way for gyms to in- increase their revenue. And they do. <laughs> I know. They I see know. a huge surge and then a major drop off. But yeah, like, I mean, it's all the same stuff. Like, oh, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to exercise more. I'm it's not going to beat the shit out of my kids. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, CAS is totally coming for you. Like, at this point, I'm like, guys, I'll tell you where she lives. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, um, I, I, for me, it's just gratitude. And I think actually just enjoying my moments more. Like, yeah. I am someone who definitely well, spends a lot a of time. That is your resolution. Yeah, I, I am someone who spends a lot of time on their phone, on social. Like, I am big time media, screen time person. And it sounds so cliche, but like, yeah, I need to try and like scale that back so that fine if you want to call it a resolution is a resolution just being more 
gratuitous and present. Exactly a resolution. Okay. Then I believe in them. <laughs> Everything I just said up until this point makes no sense. <laughs> Literally no sense. You're so funny. I, see, I'm going to stick with my guns and say I don't believe in resolutions and then I will have nothing to say that I failed at. I just I'm, I just don't believe in the hard and fast rules like, you know, have to go to the gym. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm losing 40 pounds. Like if I lost 40 pounds, I'd evaporate. But like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. when people give themselves such tight, stringent resolutions, they're just not going to achieve. Yeah. No, they're just a way for people to feel better about themselves. And then usually when you're feeling bad about yourself, you want a huge change, like 40 pounds. 40 pounds is yeah. a lot of fucking pounds. I mean, if you have it to lose, then great. Like, I know, but that's like not, that takes like a year to do, doesn't it? You know, 40 pounds, I feel like is a lot. I guess it depends how you do it. And I think it's just all irrelevant. Like just plan to be happier in your skin you know, accept yourself more, love yourself more, appreciate what you have, appreciate what's around you, and then sprinkle in the things like, oh, I want to try and be a little bit healthier. I want to try and go for a promotion. I want to yeah. try and reconnect with people in my life that maybe I've lost connections to. Like, whatever. Like, so it's not even resolutions. It's just life goals. Yeah. So right. we, like, basically don't know what we're talking about and... <laughs> What else is there? 2020 uh, starting off right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At least we maintain consistency. Say we've stayed true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, like just enjoy being alive. I think that's like a good message. And um, <laughs> do you. There you go. That's positive. Yeah. Uh, so prior to 2020, though, someone had a birthday. I know. I was 25 again. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> You're not aging well. No. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Just kidding. You look amazing. Like 25? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> Damn it. Rhonda, I'm coming for you. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I had a birthday. Yeah. And it was fun. Girls' night. We had a good time. We had pizza. Pizza, singing, dancing. I mean, what else? Drinks. What else do you need? I know. Drinks. I was so... Drunk. you were drunk <laughs> sounds like so innocent oh we had a nice little girls night with some pizzas like i'm throwing up in the bar though Ew. let's just be realistic uh, i wasn't there for that right. no i i think i was by myself good that's how it should be on your birthday alone and puking <laughs> 31 that's what it looks like <laughs> i think i'm 25 with shots and mixing and anyways yeah. But you had a good time. That's all that matters. Yeah. We had fun. And obviously, whoever follows us on social saw some of it. Yeah. Some, some of highlights. It. I just found a video of you today, which was primo. Yeah, we're not posting that one. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> this is why I don't do very good social because my video is like close up of your head. I'm like, sing. Yeah. <laughs> you yelling at me to sing. <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> you looked really pretty, though. <laughs> Oh, thanks. <laughs> That's really all that matters. Yeah. We know how I like to look pretty. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Love y'all ladies. Um, so there was something that was interesting that happened to me in 2019, though. I have decided to embark on a new journey and uh, get a new job. Yes. And uh, so I did have some interviews. And... One interview got canceled very <laughs> abruptly, like literally was in the Uber on my way to the interview. 
and just happened to check my email to find out that this interview was canceled. Now, this interview got set up through a recruiter and they reach out to me and I guess I was kind of like headhunted in a way. And uh, so I said, yeah, sure, I'll go and check it out and see what they have to say. And, you know, the offer was really good. So as I said, I'm on my way and check my email. And it's like, oh, so sorry for the short notice, but something has come up. We'll have to reschedule. That's all it said. So I reached out to the recruiter and I was like, hey, do you know what happened? Just, you know, want to make sure everything's okay. But I had this feeling that it it was, well, first of all, a lie, that something did not come up. Um, they just didn't want to meet me anymore. So upon some investigation, I discovered, well, basically the recruiter told me that, and this is, quote, my social blog does not align with the values and image of this particular employer. <laughs> So that to me was like, okay, people, like, obviously that has to do with the podcast. Well, don't, we don't have a blog. Well, first of all, I don't have a blog, <laughs> as we all, we've stated many, many times. Yeah. But I obviously, whatever social I have is the Instagram account, our like Herspective account, and then the Herspective podcast. So I think that this employer or hiring manager, whoever I was supposed to meet with, either listened or looked into it and they just didn't like what we talked about. We didn't, they didn't like the content and that's fine. Obviously we're not everybody's cup of tea and we don't need to be. That's not our goal. But what really irked me is what happened to freedom of expression, freedom of speech? Like how mm. does my personal extracurricular hobby, passion project, why did they determine that that would make me not a fit for this role? Like, yeah, what, you know, well, I think clearly the position was super conservative, I guess I would assume. But like, I, I'm a little shocked by that. Like everyone and their mother has a side hustle doing something creative, like expressing themselves. And it's just a little weird that people would want to penalize you for it, which is exactly what happened. But not only penalize, but like discredit you. I don't know. I was pretty shocked by it. Not going to lie to you. Yeah, they didn't want to know me, period. They didn't want to meet me. And obviously, and this weird. interview was not rescheduled. It was canceled. Yeah, no. And I just think it's weird. Like, I get that we're pretty open with our, you know, expression and in, in our ideas. But like, we're literally not sitting here hating on people or, you know, promoting anything negative in, except for empowerment, except for freedom, except for things like that. And it's just a, really crazy that somebody out there would not like that. So I don't know. Well, yeah, but that's the whole point. We're not promoting anything negative. We're in fact doing the opposite. We're female empowerment for one. We are trying to break down stigmas and misconceptions about so much to do with women and like roles, industries, jobs, whatever, and just sort of like shed some light on different things that we as women deal with, face, do day yeah, to day. For and sure. And to feel that that didn't align because, I don't know, we swear we can be a little we'll bit raunchy. Yeah. Like, I get it. And, you know, whatever, no disrespect. At the end of the day, I wouldn't have wanted this job anyway. Clearly. But it's just a little shocking to think that now in 2020, but like this was obviously not that long ago, that this happened. That <laughs> It people, was that very end of 2019. Yeah. That, <laughs> that this ago. is still happening. Like, 
it would be different if I was out there, like, I don't know, and even this shouldn't matter. But like, if I was out there just like preaching about like Satan being like, I don't know, my love well, or I think something. There's a fine like, line between being like or being a, racist, a Satan lover or a racist, or you know, anything like that, than simply having like we're like a wholesome girls podcast. I don't really think we're doing anything we're so not crazy. Wholesome. That's that's a lie. But that's the whole point. We are wholesome because we're just being true to women. So what's more wholesome than that? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I agree with that <laughs> statement, but I yeah, think but we're we just being true. Yeah, we're just being ourselves, and we're allowing. That's the thing. We're not. We're being true to ourselves. Yeah, and, and we're allowing or giving another platform for some, like the women that have been on our show, to talk about themselves and their life and their beliefs and things that we are interested in that we want to learn about that we think other people should learn about. Yeah. Um, I, again, it's none of it is negative. It's just educational. And I know I, I think we're funny. Like we deliver it in like a really easy, like smooth, digestible way. And for them to decide that I wasn't a fit because of that was just really shocking and disappointing to be honest. You know what? Bottom line is, I think it comes down to the fact that thank God. Yeah. Because imagine if you go out there and then, you know, you, you go through the rigmarole and then you get there and they are stuffy and you can't express yourself. And like uh, that would suck. Yeah. The right choice. It was. Yeah. Clearly it was for the right thing. And and I'm glad that you're going to find and move on to a spot that's better for you. Definitely. But yeah, I just wanted to share that as sort of like we a, don't give a fuck. Yeah, an interesting and <laughs> not defining, but like just a moment in 2019 that will always stand out to me. I think now. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, we it's not surprising. It's what women, uh, you know, lots of people have gone through over the years. Uh-huh. It's it is what it is. But whatever. Yeah, we're happier without them. So we want to get into the show pretty quick because we have an amazing guest. <laughs> After our huge long rants. Yeah, always. <laughs> Very quickly. <laughs> they have a skip button for a reason. <laughs> no, I'm sure everyone <laughs> loves to hear rants. Well, I think people probably relate to maybe that situation, like having a job re- yeah, retracted yeah, because sure. of an and Maybe not just a job, like anything. Anything, yeah. Anything a relationship. In general, something retracted. Friendship. I'm, I'm proud that you stood up for i mean obviously you're not going to dish the podcast for a fucking job but like this is something we love to do and we're not going to change up for anyone well yeah it's part of me like this is part of my life now this is something that i'm passionate about and i don't believe that it affects my ability to perform in a professional professional. role at all i understand that i've been doing professional roles for well that's the thing you know women are multi-faceted 10 years this is our point we all have we have many different faces that we have to wear as a woman and i i just we shouldn't be judged for either one going either way yeah anyways 2020 year of the woman year of the podcast year of whatever the hell we want and whatever you want our, and whatever our you want too yeah, yeah. <laughs> not just us just, you too just us. <laughs> <laughs> we promote women aka us <laughs> no anyways so today we're starting off 2020 with an amazing guest i know we say this every every single episode all our guests are amazing that's but just, they really are yeah. and i'm so proud that we were able to talk to uh dr sharma today mm-hmm. she is so smart obviously she's so cool <laughs> i'm always fangirling but uh yeah we had a really good conversation with her yeah you guys are gonna love it uh i think it is really in line with 2020 it's you know a new year and also 
new life in a sense. Like that's sort of what the show is about and different ways to become a mom, a parent, to have a family. And I think it was really eye-opening. I mean, movies and and everything, even when you become part of the reproductive years in your own life, these things are still not as talked about. Like I learned a lot from her. Same Things that I feel like we should know or could know or I'm happy to know. So... Yeah, it's Anyways. another another conversation, another industry um, that is considered taboo still. It's obviously on the it rise is. and it's changing, thank God. But um, but these are important. This is important information to know, even if it is a taboo thing. This is a huge industry that we should all be aware of, like the what the resources are out there, the things that we are capable of in today's modern scientific world. Like if we uh, I want everyone to know their options and. And also, it's just a really important message because we talk about like lack, like having less judgment around yeah, however course. anybody chooses to have a family, man and woman, just woman, just man, man and man, woman and woman, yeah, whatever your situation is, you have every right to have a family. And even if it's not, you know, what's considered traditional or the norm, yeah, of course, yeah. in air quotes, all of that, because but, yeah, I was just gonna say, as we know, the more knowledge to a certain situation, the the more awareness and the less judgment. And I like I said, I learned a lot from her for this conversation. And I'm surprised that I learned so much. Yeah, so I'm glad that we're going to be able to to send out that knowledge for y'all. Yeah, and I hopefully it changes some opinions. It helps bring, you know, even if one woman feels more confident in a choice that she might be considering making around having children. Um, so yeah, we're going to get into it, but Dr. Sharma is an IVF doctor and um, yeah. IVF is, you know, something that's on the rise and we just want to bring you more information about it. So yeah. super excited. Welcome, Dr. Sharma. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an exciting place to be discussing what I love, which is helping women, men, and families have babies. Yeah, and we definitely want you to tell us how you got into this field, uh, the reproductive field, because I think it's something that people still don't really know a lot about, and uh, we would just love for you to talk to us like why you chose it. Yeah, definitely. We want to talk about what it like, what it is, what it entails, but also why you were attracted to this type of thing. Yeah, well, great question. Um, ever since I was young, I was attracted to the field of medicine and the idea of helping people and helping them stay healthy. And then as I moved along through high school and medical school, I discovered that I have a passion for treating women. And so I became really interested in the science behind pregnancy and I did a lot of research and scientific work on how pregnancy proceeds well and what things can make it go wrong and what things can make it go right. And then I discovered that as much as I love the idea of pregnant women and delivering babies, I thought the field of how people actually get pregnant and what happens when a woman has difficulties getting pregnant, that really started to interest me more. I also liked how the fertility world is really on the cutting edge of science and so many new technologies are coming up. Um, And so that's what sort of got me interested in the field of reproductive endocrinology and infertility. And so I did a specialization in that field after my residency. 
And that's what brought me to where I am today. Um, and I think it's a super exciting field. I think it's a much more prevalent problem than um, people like to talk about. Mm -hmm. What's really nice mm -hmm. is that it's really coming into the forefront. And I love how women and couples and even single people are thinking about their fertility much earlier on. And it's not such a taboo subject anymore. And I think in this field, like you get to really help people do something that's like a value at the core, having a family and having children. So that's what brought me to where I am. Amazing. So did you think that you were going to be a delivery doctor originally? Is that where you wanted to go? Yeah, I'll be quite frank. I love the idea of um, obstetrics and delivering babies, but um, like, I didn't want to stay up all night <laughs> and spend nights yeah. in the hospital. Yeah. So yeah. that's when I moved to the other side, which was helping people get pregnant. Yeah, there's a little bit of unpredictability, I guess, that comes with uh, delivering babies because they come when they want to. They do come when they <laughs> well, want to. Well, it's not that. So. It feels like that's the scariest thing in the entire world. I haven't, I don't have kids yet, but that's the one thing that I'm dreading. So I'm like, oh my gosh, you want to always see that? <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's oh. fantastic. And I think obstetricians are special people for sure. But you just have to love like being yeah. up all night and being in the hospital and like... Probably like doing the miracle of life, like yeah. babies, it's awesome for it sure. It probably is like the most rewarding job ever. For sure. And, and adrenaline in rush this a little whole... bit. Definitely a little bit of an adrenaline Oh yeah, rush. you're yeah. thriving under pressure, that goes on the resume. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, well, that's amazing. So you specialize in IVF, correct? Yeah, I mean, I specialize in IVF and all the other assisted reproductive technologies. So when we talk about assisted reproduction, it's not just IVF, although IVF is really what the majority of patients are probably undergoing right now because it's really the best technology out there. But there's other treatments, simpler treatments for getting pregnant that some patients can use to conceive. So I specialize in all aspects of assisted reproduction. So it's any way that you help someone have a baby. Like surrogacy? Correct. There you go. So using an egg donor, using a surrogate, using a sperm donor, um, doing surgery to fix up your fallopian tubes or fix up any other problem you have before you get pregnant. If you have lots of miscarriages, we can help patients with that too. So wow. it's a lot more stuff than you actually think. Yeah, it really I, is. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I mean, I'm not uh, speaking for other people, but just in my experience, I think people think that okay, I can't have kids, go straight to IVF. Like there isn't those other areas that you can look at, maybe fix, improve, whatever, before you have to go down the, what I think generally is known as IVF is basically you have either a sperm donor or an egg donor. Yeah, and so, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think that people think, oh my gosh, if I walk into the fertility clinic, that's the end of the road. Yeah. It's like the last resort. But what I encourage patients to do, and I think actually what patients are doing more and more now because it's a more acceptable thing to be worked up and make sure your fertility is good. I tell patients like, it's just good to get checked out. So maybe it's a simple thing that you need. Maybe nothing's wrong. Maybe you could do an IUI, which is the sort of first entry level fertility treatment. So there's so many different causes for fertility. And by coming in and having everything tested, it's not bad. It doesn't mean that you're at the end of the road. And we can sort of figure out and tease out what would be optimal in terms of your treatment plan. So yeah, everybody who comes in doesn't have to do IVF. But I tell patients, if you end up having to do IVF, the technology is so great right now that your pregnancy rate is going to be really good. Oh, that's amazing. So when would be a good time? Like if you're trying, how long should you wait before you do come see a, yeah. a fertility doctor? So what we usually say is, 
if you're under 35 and there's no obvious problem, like you never get your period um, or something else that's going on, you have a thyroid problem or something else, we usually say you can try for up to one year before you come in to have a fertility evaluation. That being said, if you're under 35 and your periods only come once in six months, there's clearly something going on. So nobody would fault you for coming in sooner. Right. Um, And if you're concerned, you can always come in earlier. No one's going to turn you away because you've been trying only for six months. Yeah. If you're over 35, because age is really the most important predictor of fertility, then we say come in after like six months of trying or even before, because we know age is such an important factor that we'd rather see you earlier than not. And if you're over 40, like, I think that many family doctors will say, just go right in and get checked out. And right. I have to so agree then, with that. Yeah. So then, like, that year or that six months is when you're you're doing, like, ovulation tests and stuff like that? Yeah. Or, yeah. Okay. So if everything the first feels step. normal and you're getting regular periods and you're both healthy people, then um, we recommend to do something called timed intercourse, which is having intercourse at the ovulation peak fertility times. And the thing that's great these days is we have all these handy dandy iPhone apps that are yeah. actually really good at predicting yep. ovulation if you have regular yes. cycles. I use I use Flow. So there you go. Flow is a good one. Period. Yeah, just to see if make sure I'm like that's on, a good on, idea. on track. My period is like clockwork, so you could literally yeah, that's a good idea. Like time something by my period. <laughs> I'm busy at that hour. I'm getting my period. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Yeah, or using ovulation predictor kits is fine too. But mm-hmm. I find most of my patients now are totally sciencey. They already use the apps. They're yeah. like totally techie. And that works great. So you can do that for the six months to a year. And then if that doesn't work, certainly you could go to your family doctor and they can do some basic testing or you can ask for a referral. And they're very willing to send a referral to one of us to get you in to have a full evaluation. Well, I was just going to say, so then the next step would be, you know, it gets to the point where you're doing IVF. Um, can you kind of give us a little bit of information of what that entails? Yeah. So, I mean, I would say trying naturally to going to IVF, there's some steps in between. So just like just a little background. So you, so you know what the average patient goes through. The average patient probably tries for some period of time, whether it's six months or a year, then they eventually find their way to come see us. And so we check, I always say to patients, we check four things. We check the eggs. We check the anatomy, the tubes and the uterus, the female anatomy, and we check the sperm and we check some basic hormones. So that's sort of the first four to six weeks once you see a fertility doctor, we do your history and we do your ultrasound and make sure everything looks good. So we do all those tests and then we meet back and we say, okay, is there an egg problem? Is there a sperm problem? Is there an anatomy problem? Is there a hormonal problem? And based on that, we kind of decide what's going to be the best treatment plan for you. For some people, it's going to be well, let's give you a little bit of low-dose fertility drugs and maybe try insemination, which is putting the sperm in the uterus. For some people, we're going to say, listen, you're older, the eggs look lower, maybe going to IVF makes sense. But it's always a discussion between the patient and the physician. I think it's rare that we say you have to do this or you have to do that. There's usually some element of choice. And so patients kind of decide how aggressive or not they want to be. We certainly have our own recommendations as to what will be the best treatment. And then, you know, you have a discussion and decide what makes sense, both financially, um, in terms of your patient schedule, what kind of treatment they want to undergo. Because some patients say, I don't want to do heavy duty drugs. Um, and then we go from there and decide. But your question is with regards to IVF per se, if a patient is doing IVF on her own, then what that entails sort of medically is taking fertility drugs that are in the form of injections for about two weeks of their cycle, starting from the beginning of their cycle on day two or three. They do need to be in the clinic probably about 
five to six times every couple of days to monitor and see how their oh, eggs wow. are responding. So it's pretty intense. Yeah. yeah. So we usually say, you know, keep that two weeks pretty flexible. You can still go to work. You don't need to take off the whole two weeks. You come in every couple of days and we do an ultrasound and blood work to monitor how it's going. At the end of that two weeks, we say, okay, the eggs are ready and we trigger them to ovulate. But before they get released from the ovary, we bring the patient in and do what's called an egg retrieval. The patient's put to sleep, so it doesn't hurt. It's an IV and you drift off to your la-la land and <laughs> we monitor your vital signs. And I go in through the vagina, so no cuts in the belly or anything like that, and retrieve the eggs from the ovaries. We then give them to the IVF laboratory and they put the eggs together with sperm, whether it's your partner's sperm or a sperm donor. We create embryos and then we grow them for a couple of days in the laboratory to pick the most healthy ones. There's options to test those embryos to see if they have any chromosome problems to make sure there's no Down syndrome or anything like that. And then we either put the embryo back in fresh right in that cycle or we freeze it and we put it in the next cycle. At that point, can you pick what, like, I heard Kim Kardashian used, um, I think it was Kim Kardashian, but somebody, or maybe it was Chrissy Teigen, at that point, I think, chose certain characteristics of the babies. Is that when that would happen? So, like hair and nails? Yeah, eyes? No, it's very hard to pick hair color, n- nail color, and whatnot. I mean, there's extensive genetic testing that one could do, but we don't generally test for yeah, things like okay. that. Would that be done at a different type of clinic? Like, can that be done? Yeah, or is that question. just a rumor? I mean, so, in general, from what I hear, <laughs> nobody's choosing yeah. <laughs> like the perfect, you know, designer baby. In the U.S. and places outside of Canada, you can choose the gender, oh, but you I'm can't pick your like d- designer baby <laughs> with blonde hair, blue eyes. As far as I know, Lauren that does did not in her dreams. Well, I, I manifested it my happened. blonde, blue eyed baby with curly blonde hair and tan skin. Yeah, <laughs> that, and he that is I that. Know. I did manifest that. And, <laughs> What's the know, secret? You whether can sell it, was, it, yeah, whether it was genetics, which. It was, of course, um, or, you know, a higher power, whatever you choose to believe. I'll go with both. But um, yeah, like it, it, that sounds intensive, but actually like not as intensive as I think one would think. Like it seems like it's a journey that you have so much support with and it's sort of on your schedule a little bit, but obviously you have yeah, to follow I mean, in. What I, what I say is it is daunting when you think, oh my gosh, injections yeah. and taking out eggs. Especially but, if you're scared of needles. Absolutely. But most patients actually tolerate it way better than they would think. That's probably because women are such a like strong group of people. But most of our patients sure. actually tolerate it way better than they think. And the protocols have become so much more patient-friendly over the years. So we as doctors try to minimize your like sort of pain and suffering during yeah. the process. So in answer to your question like the monitoring doesn't have to be exactly on certain days we can be a little flexible so we're pretty cognizant to that and make sure the patients have a good experience and the risk level is really low for any complications during this process and i think that the well the uh, risk is outweighed by the reward right the uncomfortable risk is outweighed by the end result which hopefully results in a baby yeah hopefully (laughs) Is, is there like a low rate or a high rate for that yeah so it's a good question i mean the younger you are, the higher the success rates. And certainly, like, the quality of the sperm, the quality of the uterus, all that makes a difference. But the fertility doctor can usually give you a good idea of your personal success rate. Yeah, Mm -hmm. beforehand, probably. But I always say, like, for those people in the audience that are listening, like, it's always better to get an earlier consultation when you're younger because I think age is really the most, the largest predictor of fertility. 
So if you're thinking about it, it's always better to go in and get checked out. I actually, think- I was just going to say something about age. I actually dated a guy and he was like, you should go get checked out. Make sure you have kids before we go any further. Can have kids? I'm like, what the hell? Do you think that's something that women should be doing in general? Like, is this something that, you know, women that haven't had children, whether they're planning to or not, or like, they're like, one day I will. And there's no rush or anything. But should they be taking this kind of as part of their regular checkups once they reach a certain age like should they roll this into kind of their yeah proactive so, health care I, mean, I or think just... you've like really hit the nail on the head and i really think that this is the way the future of fertility is going and i've seen a change just in my 10 years of practice that in the last five years women have become so much more proactive about their reproductive health and men actually because men can get their sperm counts mm-hmm. checked too <coughs> excuse me but for women we know age is a factor and women are definitely delaying childbearing all for good reasons because they want to pursue their career or they want to travel or they're just taking longer to find mr right because we all know that the divorce rate is higher <laughs> mm-hmm. than we like to mention yep. so people take their time settle. yeah nobody should settle and so they want to live with their partner for a while or whatever it is yeah so they are taking the time to actually decide to start a family so we can't stop time and aging of the eggs. And so the advent of this technology of egg freezing and the fact that it's all over the media and people are talking about it and having egg freezing parties. I think women are just so much more prone to be proactive. And so they come in and you can always come in and get checked out. I think that's like 50% of the consults I see these days where women in their late twenties or early thirties are getting a referral to say, I don't want kids right now, but I may want them in the future. I'm single. I don't see myself having a baby in the next three years. Can I get checked out? So absolutely. I think it should ultimately become part of routine health maintenance, like checking your blood pressure, checking your egg count, right? Wow. So it's a great idea. And this, you know, brings up an important topic about egg freezing, because once you get checked out by the fertility doctor, one of the options you have is to freeze eggs. And so Similar to what I said about doing an IVF cycle, it is doing an IVF cycle, but rather than fertilize the eggs with sperm, you can freeze the eggs as is, just your raw DNA, and keep them sort of as insurance until some later point when it may not be working with you, or for whatever reason you're older, you can actually go back to those eggs, and although it's not a guarantee, you could thaw them and fertilize them with a partner or donor sperm and create embryos, and then you have these beautiful 30-year-old embryos instead of being 40 with your own eggs. Amazing. Wow. So it's like an insurance policy and the technology yeah. is just getting better and better. And so we do recommend it for young women who are um, not having a baby anytime in the near future. Yeah, and it's a great way for women to like know that this is an option for them mm-hmm. because it, it, it's a great way for them to kind of take that power and that ownership and make it yeah. their own. Like they're not dependent on a decision by a partner or, you know, Yes, like you said, the clock is always going to be ticking, but at least you have that plan B. And in society, women still very much feel that like the biological clock pressure, but then also society's pressure of like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, you're 30 or you're 32 Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Are you going to have a baby? Are you going to get married? Why are you single? And so then for a lot of women, that just starts to like build in them. And then like, it's just it does. If they have that option, they can be like, yeah. I already took care of it. My eggs are frozen. Yeah, like, no problem. That's how I'm 30. Almost, almost 31. <laughs> <laughs> but I, and I feel that way for sure. And I'm not in any place to want to get pregnant or I don't even know for sure if I want to, but it makes me stressed out for no reason that I am like wasting time or losing time. But and it's the comparing. most ridiculous. I know, but it's like, 
there are a million things for me to actually worry about. This is the last thing I should be worrying about. But it is something. No, 100%. I always say that to patients. And I think like, I find it interesting because technology is advancing. Women are becoming more powerful in business and professional lives. But there's still that feeling that women should get married and have a baby, like the societal pressure that women should get married and have a baby um, and men are in the workforce, no matter what we do. In a timely manner too, though. Right, exactly. So you're absolutely right when you say, oh my God, you're 35 and you're married. And I think that the second part is, is that, you know, women, they go out on a date and they're like, is this the guy I'm going to marry? Like that's in the back of their head. And so (laughs) I think think (laughs) that the women who freeze their eggs Not that they shouldn't be thinking long-term, but it relieves that pressure when they're sort of considering their Mm -hmm. partner in life to not feel like I have to move this forward really super quickly. Um, It does relieve that pressure. And so not only is it great from a medical standpoint, but I think psychologically it just allays some fears and worries and you just feel like, yeah, I did that already. So I'm good. So yeah, I think think it's important too that they don't have to have a partner either. Yeah. I mean, this is an opportunity for women to say, you know, I just haven't found the right person for me, but I do want children. And we can do it on our own. I mean, family units are changing. Exactly. Absolutely. I say that all the time. Like there's so many different ways to have a family. And I mean, that's another thing I'm seeing much more often in my clinic, single women who are having babies on their own. So before it was a little bit more taboo, not having Mm -hmm. a baby with Mm -hmm. a partner. But now it's like super empowering people accolade patients who do that and women who do that. And, you know, there's a lot of support out there. You can have help if you're, you know, professional and financially like stable to do this. You can have your baby and still maintain your work life balance and raise a child without a problem. And so we do that, too. We help women have babies with sperm donation. Um, and insemination with donor sperm, and it's a readily available process. So do you have, like, a book, like, in the movies of all the, <laughs> <laughs> the sperm like guys? Like Baby Mama or whatever, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, we refer patients to agencies that have frozen sperm that's been tested on guys who have, you know, decided that they want to donate their sperm, typically anonymously. Mm-hmm. And mm. so we refer them to these websites that have pictures of the guys from when they were little. And so I always tell my patients, Go grab a friend and a bottle of wine and sit in front of your computer and, and look for Mr. Right. Yeah. Shop for your shop for baby your, daddy. Your sperm. Exactly. <laughs> which no, is which cute. is the similar process for a donor too, like a female egg donor or a surrogate, right? It's, right. There's a website for that through same agencies that Absolutely. The so there's sperm donor agencies and then for those women who can't conceive with their own eggs or for whatever reason they can't carry a pregnancy. It's not the end of the road like it used to be like 20, 30 years ago with the advent of using egg donors and surrogates. We're allowed, we're able to help these women who otherwise couldn't start a family. And so, yes, similar situation for a patient who's, let's say, 48 and, you know, her eggs are not in the uh, perfect situation to have a baby. She can choose a younger egg donor and same thing look at their pictures and whatnot typically it's anonymous and those younger egg donors cycle and do ivf and we take their young healthy eggs pair it with partners or donor sperm and create embryos and the woman herself sometimes can carry and in some situations where she can't carry she can make a liaison with a surrogate through one of these agencies and the surrogate can carry the pregnancy as well and so it's amazing that this type of treatment is so readily available when in the past it wasn't something that was done before there's so many options do you think there's a celebrity influence behind surrogacy, like just ongoing or like coming up more and more because there is so many very, very 
well-known celebrities, for instance, like Kim Kardashian, we seem to always use the Kardashians. She's they like just do everything. Yeah. 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 Um, so and there's a hundred of them. Yeah, so. yeah. She does everything, um, can afford to do everything. But yeah. I just wonder if there is an influence in, in a positive way because people are saying, well, she's doing it or other celebrities are doing it and they seem great and they're having these beautiful, happy, healthy families. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not so afraid or I don't consider it so taboo anymore as a woman or you know, a couple that would like to explore this as an option or same sex. Obviously, that's going to be a challenge on its own to reproduce. Um, so do you have you had anybody that comes in and is like, well, you know, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think no matter how much you hear about it through the grapevine, if you see it in the media, it's like, well, she did it so I can do it. And so right. That's the great thing about the influence of these celebrities, yeah. that they really influence the public. And so it is nice that when they do something like this and they share their story, it's, they choose to broadcast it so people feel like, oh, I can do that too. So 100%. It's like if a celebrity wears a name brand, you're like, oh, that name brand's cool. I'm going to cool, wear yeah. it too, right? Yeah, yeah. it normalizes So yeah, everything. I mean, exactly. It normalizes it. I think no matter what, there's always this sort of you know, stigma around mm -hmm. infertility, it's definitely changing. Like people are really more open to talking about it and getting evaluated and, you know, talking to their friends about it and being open. And I think just the celebrity influence helps with that, right? Yeah. People are willing to share their stories. Um, you know, certainly certain celebrities will use a surrogate just because they don't want to be pregnant, yeah. right? Yeah. And so that's sort of a different discussion. Um, you know, because there's medical reasons and there's social reasons. So I always discuss that with patients. And then your second point about same-sex males, so gay couples, they have the sperm, but they need the eggs and the uterus. And so they can't have a family without the advent of an egg donor and surrogate. And so that's a huge population of patients that we treat too. And it's great. Like, again, you know, this wasn't something that was available like 15, 20 years ago. And so... Now with these egg donors and surrogates that are like willing to share and to help and to help create these families, you know, we're creating these beautiful children for all different kinds of couples, which is really nice. That's yeah. amazing. It's the women helping women and men do yeah. something that they can. And that like the gift of a baby obviously is like the best, the biggest. Like so it's so nice to see. Yeah. And I really like talking to you about this because I feel like it does obviously any communication decreases stigmas and mm -hmm. taboos but and not just for IVF and, and people that can't get pregnant but it's for the women like you mentioned I already feel better talking to you about the fact that people can prolong their pregnancies or wait a little bit longer so yeah. I, I feel much better about that personally yeah <laughs> prolong the decision to starting a family yeah. whether it's yeah you on your own or with a partner or however that may look for you there's just lots of who knows now. what's gonna happen yeah <laughs> um so another question that we had was how did this even get started? Like one day you didn't just fall upon like some eggs. Yeah, and <laughs> stick them into another woman think, let's give this a shot. Like how did this even come about? Well, the first IVF was actually in 1978 on a woman oh named Louise Brown. So she's like the first te test tube baby. So she that just was the like first said, IVF. try on me, no problem. Well, I mean, I'm sure there was some research protocol or something like that. And she underwent something called natural IVF. Uh, well, not her, but she was the product of natural IVF. So her mother enter underwent. Oh, she was the baby. She was the baby. Oh, okay. exactly. So her mother underwent this procedure. I can't remember what the diagnosis was. It might have been blocked tubes. I'm not sure. But 
they like some doctors decided, okay, if the egg and the sperm can't meet properly, then we're going to try to take it out. So this was the first test tube baby. They took out an egg. They tried to fertilize it in the laboratory. They created one embryo and they put it back into the woman's uterus and it took. So this was using her own eggs in her own uterus. So that was the first IVF in the in 1970s. So when that worked, that opened up this whole new world of IVF. And Option, soon yeah. after that, in the 80s, people discovered that you can super ovulate women, which is not just making the one egg, but getting a woman to make 10, 15, 20 eggs, and you could create a bunch of embryos so they only have to do this once for the rest of their family. So that's when freezing embryos and the protocols we have for freezing embryos really sort of bumped up. And we knew that we could freeze embryos and then thaw them later and they could actually survive and get good viability and create babies. So that was really a huge development in the field because now you could do IVF, create multiple embryos, and potentially have a whole family. So then after that, they thought, okay, this is great. We can do IVF, you know, patients who can make all these eggs, they can get pregnant and even have embryos for future babies. Then, okay, so what do we do with the 47-year-olds who want to get pregnant? Well, they're eggs. We can't make them make more eggs. So the whole idea of using an egg donor came up in animal studies, actually. So what they did was they said, okay, can you take eggs or embryos from somebody else and put them into another person and have them still carry? So when you think about an egg donor cycle, you're basically carrying some other woman's genetic DNA. So in order to figure out if that was possible, what scientists did was they took pregnant animals, I I believe it was rabbits that they started with, and they flushed out the embryos from one rabbit and said, okay, we've got these embryos, and they put it into another rabbit, and those embryos still thrived and grew and produced babies. So what they realized, the body was like, okay, this is pregnancies, I can take it and hold on to it. So what they realized was you can take eggs or embryos from one living thing and put them into another living thing and they'll still grow. So that's when they said, okay, older women, their eggs don't work anymore. So they said, let's try taking a younger woman's eggs, making embryos outside the body, and then putting it into the older woman's uterus and seeing if they'll still stick. And what they found was the uterus, while it does age a little bit, it doesn't age to the extent that eggs age. So you can put 22-year-old embryos from a 22-year-old's eggs into a 48-year-old's uterus if her uterus is overall normal and she can carry the pregnancy. So that's oh my gosh. how donor egg cycles started up and surrogacy cycles. Is it true that you're born with the amount of eggs that you'll always ever have? Yes, very good. That's a scientific fact that most <laughs> I women <know> don't so. <laughs> actually know. So you are born with a finite number of eggs. So what you got is what you got. And people think, well, if I'm in the birth control pill, I'm saving myself from losing eggs. But it's actually not true because your body randomly grows and loses eggs every month. So people ask, if I do IVF and you take 20 eggs out of me from IVF, did I screw my chances for later because you had 20 less eggs? And that's not exactly true because whatever eggs you have each month, and for a younger woman, it's like around 20. For an older woman, it might be five or 10. Those eggs are use them or lose them that month. So whatever eggs you have in a month, you're going to lose automatically. Whether you do you know, fertility treatment, or you take the birth control pill, or you do nothing, you lose those eggs. The only way to save them is actually to do IVF and take them out. And nobody's going to do IVF every single month their whole life. So no, wow. every yeah. month your loss of eggs is what eventually leads to menopause at the average age of 51. Oh. So, oh, menopause means you have no more eggs. Well, it's not no more eggs, but it's the eggs that are left are sort of the lowest quality and they don't have all the hormones and the receptors, and so they don't ovulate as regularly. And that's why as women get closer to menopause and they have less eggs, their periods get really wonky yeah. and you know they're not regular and their hormones get all out of whack. What does an egg look like? 
So if you look at it under the microscope at the time when you actually do an egg retrieval, it's basically like a fried egg. It's a little black dot with like a halo of gray around it. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> it's pretty cool actually that yep. we get to see what eggs look like yep. outside the body. So again, a fascinating fact about what we do. I feel like I should have known that's how menopause gets started, but I actually didn't know that. So you just same, yeah. really taught me something. Um, I just knew menopause existed, and I that's know. what happens to you. Like, I'm going to ask 50s. these embarrassing questions for all of us, because there are some people who don't know, yeah. myself and Lauren now included. Well, I always tell people, like, you know, that's why it took seven years for me to get here to, like, learn, to learn about this. Yeah. Because it is a complex um process and we all think oh we get our period you can get pregnant or not pregnant make sure you don't get pregnant when you're young and you can get pregnant when you're later yeah. and then all of a sudden menopause happens but it's actually a complex sort of scientific and physiologic situation that you know which is now changing about. because of technology mm -hmm. and the evolution of technology and but outside of the technology it's just sort of a beautiful thing that women are designed to help other women in like a physiological way right like we can well, we're capable of it yeah we're capable of it but i just like to look at it from that really beautiful standpoint that if you couldn't carry your own child or a child whatever the case may be mm -hmm. i could for yeah, you and like my up. body will still accept that my body will still grow a baby and i can then provide that to somebody who couldn't have that and i i think that is just sort of an amazing message like women helping women not just from like a supportive standpoint but like really down to <laughs> the core the core yeah. of creation that's exactly. the most helpful thing well, I yeah mean, you, you gotta wonder why it's women that do all of this right i don't no, wonder i don't wonder either i know <laughs> yeah. no but like it yeah. is you know it is it speaks to the power of women and the fact that you know egg donors who donate they're really doing more than just saying, I give you my eggs. They're going through two weeks of doing treatment and whatnot. Same with surrogates. They're carrying a pregnancy. I mean, obviously sperm donors do something too, but it's certainly not as difficult. I think it's a little more fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's not as difficult as what egg donors and surrogates do. So yes, on like a global, like sort of larger scale, it's a pretty awesome thing. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. very special. And that you mentioned global just there. So do you find that this is very prominent in North America or is it across the world? Because I feel like in some cultures this would be very frowned upon in my experience talking about this procedure. It is also frowned upon, definitely taboo, um, whether it be from just like cultural reasons, religious reasons, but it seems in North America, like so many other things, the trend comes sooner and is more accepted, but there's still definitely people that yeah, don't agree. For sure. I mean, you bring up a lot of valid points. Um, I think in certain cultures, um, the idea of using an egg donor or sperm donor is sort of foreign and patients are reluctant and they don't want to tell their family and whatnot. But I think that's also slowly changing. People are modernizing and just with the times they're thinking, okay, there are different ways to do this. I mean, in the end, it's a patient's choice if they disclose it to other family members or friends or yeah. whatnot. Um, but yeah, there are certainly cultural differences. Um, I would certainly say like most other things and scientific advancements, North America is sort of at the forefront, North America and Europe. Um, that being said, in Europe, they're sometimes a little conservative about using egg donors and surrogates. Mm -hmm. So those patients actually come to North America to do stuff. Um, but, you know, even then I find even over the last five years that cultures and certain religions that might not have been so open to it are much more open to it now. 
Um, because in the end, people want a family, right? Yeah, and of so course. I always tell patients, um, listen, if you don't do this because you feel like morally or ethically against it, are you going to be happier not having had that family? Or sort of thinking about if you can sort of get over that piece and have your family, you'll probably be in a happier state. And I think that's really what people have to decide in the end when they have to do some of these types of treatments. It's what's your end goal? Yeah. Well, having the, a family and a baby your end goal, then it's kind of worth it. What's the moral or ethical problem? Is it accepting technology? Or like, what would be the problem there? I think for some cultures, the idea of not using their own DNA. eggs or a sperm is not acceptable. Even if you cannot, they, it would still be... Yeah, I think for from a religious standpoint, it would just mean like, well, this is what God chose Not for you, and whatever yeah, yeah. Um, which is this unfortunate. This is like the but... year twenty twenty almost, and we don't have to accept really anything anymore. Yeah, but I mean, that's just like many other things in religion. If that's what your beliefs are and your values are, I mean, some people will feel strongly. Yeah, go outside of it and go quote unquote against it, or they won't. And um, well, and sucks. and it goes back to I think just people saying, well, this is what it was meant to be for me, or not meant to be. So obviously, we've talked a lot about women and like the difficulties they have. But do you find that it's women that automatically assume that it's their problem, they can't have babies, like take the responsibility? Yeah, on instead of telling their partner, maybe you should get checked out. Like maybe you're for in for sure. a child. For sure. I mean, that's definitely changing slowly. Like I even find men are like, well, what about me? Can I do anything to help? Oh, so it's definitely changing, which I love hearing yeah. when yeah. guys do that. But yes, historically, I used to have only the woman come in and she'd be like, well, I'm here to check myself out because it's probably me. And the guy wouldn't even be in the picture. Ugh. So the worst. Yes. And I think women just tend to do that. And, you know, we blame ourselves, blame ourselves. Exactly. For lots of things. It doesn't have to (laughs) be just fertility for anything. Right. Yeah. But I really do see that that's changing. And I think like that's a great message to sort of send across to um, the listeners and the viewers in the audience. I think that when we talk about infertility, we say it's a couple's issue, not just the woman. If it's a couple, I mean, obviously, if it's a single woman who needs donor sperm, that's goes yeah. without saying. It's different, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> but in a couple, I always say it's a couple's issue. And we have to evaluate the whole couple. Right. And so yeah. to be quite frank, when you look at the causes of infertility, male factors like 30 to 40 percent and female factors 30 to 40 percent so it's equivalent that's a really important statistic i think that needs to be out there because like we said i think a lot of women automatically just assume oh my god i can't get pregnant something's wrong with me or my uterus my reproductive system and they don't really like put that towards the men to say like oh maybe you need to get checked out and that stat kind of just blows that thought process out of the water because it could be equally either one of the for sure, people. For sure. And isn't it easier to test a man's sperm than like less invasive? Well, I mean, for a woman, there's lots of different things you check. There's like mm-hmm. an anatomy check, the blood test, but right. For a man, they're just producing a sample. Yes. Oh, yes. And <laughs> so it's pretty easy, but you'd be surprised how reluctant some men are. And I always, it's like, I always say, look, well, Look at the woman and all the different yeah. things she's going through, all the injections yeah. and all yeah. the pills. The guy can come and provide us provide example. a sample. And do they do it here or can you bring a cup home? Either way, if you can bring so it to if the... if that's the case, there's no excuse. Maybe it would be a little weird being in a room, like, 
you know, it's not how they put it in the movies, like with your the porno porn magazines. <laughs> is that right. how it is? It is yeah. actually, believe it or not. <laughs> or I've also seen that the doctors the come in and the prostate gland. Is that what they like? Oh wow! Activate? No, 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 they don't usually. Unless, <laughs> yeah, no, He's like, no, wow, I that do is not activate any prostate glands. <laughs> what do you mean? Like that's a porno? <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. But like, there are certain situations where a guy needs help or they have to use it you know if they have a, a production problem then the female can go in but the doctor intervention no <laughs> see this is what's wrong with society and media males fantasies <laughs> yeah we're just fed this crap um that's hilarious. but good that we cleared that up yeah, so yeah. dr sharma we were wondering this whole time <laughs> that's really all we wanted to talk about yeah no i wasn't trained in that no. on my <laughs> um well that's good to know like i i think for a lot of men, it's sort of the least they can do without sounding like you it know, really is. Though they're going through woman. nothing further than that is providing their sample at all times. That's all for they sure. Have to and I have for. to say, most men are open. And I've actually seen in recent years and a, a much bigger increase in guys saying, as I said, "Is there anything that I can do? Yeah. You know, what can I do to improve my sperm count and stuff?" So they are much more participatory. And then the other thing I would say on the male side is that we do know that. As men get older, even though they can produce sperm till they're like 100, um, sperm quality does decline mm-hmm. with age, particularly over the age of 45 to 50. And we know that for guys over 40, their sperm, using their sperm has a higher incidence um, or an association with autism and mental health disorders. Really? So it's always better for the guy to have a baby when they're younger, too. Younger I mean, it's too. not as strong of a connection as like age and Down syndrome with women, but there is a loose connection suggesting that older men have an increased risk of offspring with wow. autism and mental health no issues. And isn't there other things like they're frequently providing samples, then it has like less quality of sperm as well? Or Yeah, I mean, we usually say when a guy gives a sperm sample for analysis that they should have two to five days of right. a window before yeah. they provide. And that's also with all these apps when women are figuring out when they ovulate, you want to have sex at the right time, not like for 10 days straight and then miss the window of ovulation because yeah. sperm counts are too low. By the 10th day, it's not as good quality. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because yeah. it takes like 90 days for the sperm to regenerate. So if you do it every day, you 90 go days. Down. Yeah. So is it best, ideally, like obviously not? Well, there's a lot of sperm best. stored up too, right? Oh. So it's just if you keep doing it, it's just going to ultimately go low. And then to regenerate the new cells that start producing will take a long time. So after five, six, seven <laughs> days, you're going to have like very little sperm in the actual ejaculate and it won't be able to get you. Is pregnant. it possible to run out? <laughs> <laughs> when you're like dead, but most guys can reproduce until they die, which is okay. kind of the sad state of affairs. Women don't have that issue. No. <laughs> like what guys can produce forever. Men yeah. are just like high-fiving each other right now. They're like, yeah, till I die. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean... So far, like all of this has been really positive, I think. And I hope that, you know, people listening, if they're going through or considering going through any IVF treatments, because maybe they know they need to, um, they're going to learn that this is a really incredible thing and there should be no shame around it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the society that we live in finds shame in anything. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, though, like what are some of the downsides like is there a limit to how many IVF treatments you can go through like what if it just doesn't work is that when you would then most likely move to surrogacy or yeah so you're right like although the technology has improved so much it's not always a happy ending yeah and unfortunately you know it's a difficult process struggling with infertility so we don't 
minimize that. And that's why we have lots of avenues like support groups and social workers and whatnot. And it's good that people feel comfortable talking to their family now and their friends and they Mm -hmm. feel supported. But you're right, like for a variety of reasons, whether it be eggs or sperm or age or uterus, it might not work despite repetitive cycles of IVF or frozen transfers or anything. um, Repetitive cycles may not work. And so that's when you have to sort of tease out and say, okay, are your eggs not working? We should use an egg donor. Is the uterus just not up to par and you should consider a surrogate? Is for some reason the sperm not as good as we'd like and we should use a sperm donor? So you sort of reevaluate. So when you ask about the limit, I mean, typically we say once you get up to like six IVF cycles with your own eggs, then the yield and the positive results after that are low. Like typically what we say is after three to four IVFs, your success rate is just going to go down, not up, because you've maximized the drug protocol and everything you can do. Oh, so you might not yeah. make as many. It's like you've run out of ideas. Yeah. So six is kind of pushing it. Um, That's a good number. Do though. you have a cutoff it though? Is. No, we don't actually have a cutoff. Each patient we evaluate differently. Yeah. Like, and so every case is unique, right? Like if you do three IVFs and there's great embryos, but they're not sticking, then you have to reevaluate and say, is it time for a surgery? Oh surrogate? yeah. So yeah, each case is individual. Trying. You got to sort of tease out what the issue is. But I mean, it's and it's also like patients, right? At some point, it's not as much as we say, oh, it's not too bad. And it's two weeks of injections and a retrieval. At some point for the patient, it's a lot too. Yeah, that can get very trying. Financially, mentally, emotionally, physically, it's a lot. And so you want to do something that's going to work. And so we usually say, you know, every couple months, you should reevaluate with your doctor and see what the treatment plan really should be. And if you should modify it, if it's time to move on to an egg donor, a surrogate or a sperm donor, and have that discussion, because yeah. otherwise, you'll just spiral and keep going and it might not work. And wow. that can't be good mentally, like, and emotionally. I'm sure that takes yeah. the biggest toll at that point, like people Oh, that's really sad. Yeah, and I'm sure that starts to impact the relationship if it is a couple going through the treatment because, you know, I can't imagine that kind of stress. I'm lucky enough and blessed enough that I was able to have my own children. But I, you know, even having your own children causes so much stress and yes. can cause complications in a relationship. That kind of feeling that we're failing, which I would, I know myself, I'm not saying that other women would feel this, but I just think as women, as we've discussed, like we always blame ourselves and you would probably start to feel like I'm a failure and I can't do what I'm naturally supposed to do. And so with this treatment, you provide different like therapies or um, like, I guess, psychologists or just counselors, support groups around that, which is amazing because I think that would be like a necessary component otherwise. Like like we always talk about with when we talk to Lady Pym, our dominatrix, it's just another thing in the toolbox. Exactly. You can't, it's crazy to think that one avenue will cure all there's a lot that goes into a person physically mentally emotionally and all those need to be addressed all those ways so i think that um you know fertility treatment is also moving towards like wellness Mm -hmm. and mental well-being and physical well-being whereas before it was just like a very medicalized treatment now we feel like you have to do that whole mind body approach and so your psyche and how you feel mentally is just as important as what we're doing physically and you also have to be comfortable with the choice you make. So yeah, for sure, we're not robots. We're not just like banging things, babies, or exactly. if, you know, exactly. out. And it's every there's so much that in a person. And I can't imagine back in the day having everything so cut and dry. Like come for your needle, leave. You like you know what I mean? I would be. I'm already in my head as it is, and I would think that it would be so hard to 
not receive that treatment from your doctors or, you know, the, the yeah. from the whole situation. Yeah, I think it's just people are more open to it now. Yeah. And so it's it's a more pleasant experience. But at the same time, we can't downplay that it is hard to deal with mm-hmm. infertility. And yeah. so, you know, any of the support systems you have, and we're happy to offer them too, to help a patient to, um, to get through it. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, we haven't touched on it yet, but uh, I am a donor, a former donor, (laughs) and um, I've done it a couple of times. And even to start that process, your clinic offers um, counseling to make sure that you are comfortable being a donor, becoming a donor, and that you're doing it for the right reasons. And, you know, there's no pressures or anything psychologically concerning, which I found was really, really amazing. I didn't know that that was part of it. And um, it was just really cool to speak with the counselor that is provided because they're just such a wealth of knowledge. And I mean, I had my personal reasons why I wanted to donate. But then to hear from the counselor about like the families that are choosing a donor, why they need one. And it was just so special and so moving that it just like secured my choice but that was kind of your reasoning right you wanted to yeah exactly like I really felt strongly that there's so many people in the world that really should have children but can't like they'd be such amazing parents and hopefully will raise amazing children to go on and do great things and just create more happy healthy strong people in society and kind of hopefully that creates a domino effect Um, but for whatever reason, it's just not an option for them, the natural way. Um, so, and then my other side of it was there's so many people in the world that have children that I personally don't feel should have for, you know, a myriad of reasons. Um, so I just thought if this is something that I can do as I guess my part, like a good Samaritan, um, I've had two children. I didn't feel I needed my eggs my leftover anymore (laughs) anymore um and thought if they can be used to help someone else have a family like i'm more than happy but yeah the process is i didn't find it difficult but it it is a little bit trying i mean more than that's not even the the like the all the needles and everything that's just removal right no that is the needles well i mean it's not it's not just um what what do we call that ivf because you said it's both because you donated and yes that's the next step right but i have to go through the same ivf treatment with um, so injecting the, yeah, yeah injecting so whether the hormones. you are an egg donor or you do IVF on your own or you freeze eggs you're doing the same injections it's all an IVF right, cycle. but okay. you bring up an important point yeah. because patients think well if I'm not doing IVF myself and putting them into me then it's not IVF but it is all this treatment right whether it's an egg donor or an yeah. egg freezer it's IVF but to attest to your point um you know we talk about helping the patient who can't have a baby with her own eggs by using an egg donor or a surrogate and like those people seem like just these amorphous beings, but we consider those patients, the egg donor and surrogate, our own patients as well. And mm-hmm. so they are undergoing something medical, and so they're our patients as well. So having good counseling and making sure they know about all the risks and the benefits and the side effects and making sure they're well-prepared is really important too. Yeah, the care is second to none in my experience here. Uh, you're really communicated with by all the medical staff. Um, they check in on you. They're there for you if you need to like have a conversation. There is some flexibility with scheduling around when you have to come in, which they try their very best to accommodate. And it's just it's a completely different experience than like if you were just you know going to your regular old doctor's appointment, which I really appreciated and made me feel even better about my decision to donate. And I mean, I know that. There's been a few 
babies born through. Um, yeah. Do you think about? Yeah, I think about babies? it. <laughs> well, I don't think of them as my babies. I just think about it as my DNA exists in the do world you think outside about those of me. Babies. Um, no, not really. I think more about the families, actually. Like, I think of it as a whole, not that individual child that was born. I just think about, like, I just hope that everything is going well and everybody's happy. And I just hope that the, um, you know, the people that needed this assistance are happy and thriving. And, uh, did you pick who got them? No, they pick me. Right, so, right, like right. we talked about, yeah. Did you approve it? Like, it's an anonymous donation. I'm aware that some couples were same sex, and then there's a couple that was um, heterosexual, and uh, one of the same sex couples actually I donated twice for them because they wanted a sibling from the same uh, donor. So I mean, the the stories behind it are amazing. I received, that is amazing. I received a letter from the heterosexual couple um, just thanking me and um, just you know talking about their journey with trying to have a child and so it's all just like such a good feel vibe it's a fabulous yeah so then like, yeah amazing. dr sharma what, what if those people came to you and said i want to meet her would you be able to facilitate that or is this not yeah option? no i mean there's strict guidelines around mm-hmm. this for the most part if you sign on to be an anonymous egg donor then you don't meet it's done. later yeah. um there are some egg donors who want to be known and the couples want to know an egg donor and they want to have a relationship and that's sort of predetermined they have a legal agreement the only right. exception to this and it's not really an exception is god forbid the child has a medical issue and the egg donor needs to get tested because it's some new medical issue then through the agency or the physician we can reach out to the egg donor but it still maintains the anonymity to protect the clients right. and, and the i think donor. I think that that's where a lot of the stigma and, and you know, the taboo-ness about this is because people fear um, or it's it's a wonder if, if these lines would get crossed, like, because it can be a little weird, right? But with all these things in place, of course, that makes a lot of sense that that yeah, is I less mean, likely. So, uh, certainly the, you know, parents who come in who are using an egg donor or surrogate, it's not an unusual question to have them say, well, is that person going to come back and say, yeah. this is my baby? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no, for sure. People ask me that all the time. But you're right that this system and this type of treatment has been in place and there's the proper stipulations and the legal agreements and the backup that all parties are very clear on what's happening. And so, yeah. Yeah, there's a big legal component. There's a contract from both sides. There's lawyers involved. I've always done anonymous donations. So there was no end like communication between me and the intended parents. And um, if I had chosen to be known, like a known donor, idea. yeah, um, then I could have communication with them. But for my own reasons, I just chose I to would, stay anonymous. Yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of like cutting the cord. Yeah, like for me, it was, okay, I'm happy to do this. I'm 100% willing to do it. I'm excited about it for these families. But there is that line that would probably change me. Well, if, from a if mental- you met that kid. Well, no, just like. From a mental standpoint, meeting or knowing or communicating with the intended parents, that would just be a little too close to home, as they say. Like, I just didn't want to have that connection. Like, it's out there. It's serving its purpose. I hope yeah. everybody's happy, but I don't want it to be any closer than that. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I, I hear you on that. So, I mean, I guess the only other thing is, can you talk about, like, what the costs of IVF? a... Yeah, intended parents would go through for IVF. 
So, I mean, there's sort of two, a couple of different treatments. So just to sort of touch upon, you know, fertility treatment and how it goes, when a couple comes in for evaluation, there's certain tests that are not covered by OHIP. Mm, okay. Can so be some anywhere. Of it is. Yeah. The I consultation is covered if you have OHIP, um, but we do see a lot of international clients and then they pay a certain right. fee. Some of the blood tests or some of the sperm tests or the workup might not be covered by OHIP, which can amount to like a couple hundred to like a thousand. Um, and patients can opt if they're going to do that. But when it comes to actual treatment cycles, if we focus on IVF, doing IVF with your own eggs is anywhere between ten and $15,000. Mm-hmm. And I say that because, one, it depends on if you get coverage for the medications, if you have a drug plan. Right. Two is if you are under 43 and you can take advantage of the Ontario public funding for one cycle. Oh, that's important information. That there so if is you're funding. under 43, you can have one cycle of IVF covered, and that's covering the IVF, whether it's with your own eggs or with an egg donor. But it won't cover the medications or a surrogate. Um, or certain other things, but it does give you money towards the IVF, which is nice. Yeah. But let's say you've used that cycle or you're over 43 and you're using an egg donor, um, then those cycles range anywhere between 25 to up to $50,000, depending on the different packages and programs that a clinic has. So it, it's an expensive process, mm-hmm. but certainly if you end up using an egg donor, the statistics for success are quite high because you've eliminated the age mm-hmm. pressure. Um, so I always tell patients if you're 43 and you're you want to use your own eggs, you might end up doing five IVF cycles and paying fifty thousand dollars with a five percent chance. Versus if you pay twenty five thousand dollars with an egg donor, you have a ninety five percent chance. So you have to sort of weigh the risks and benefits. Of yeah, each type of I guess treatment. each person, each situation is so different. It all. Yeah, it's hard to. But that's sort of an overall view of cost. Yeah. But um, it really every patient situation is different. Yeah, and I'm sure that's kind of a challenge, right? Like knowing that your success rate would probably be higher if you use a donor, but then it's not your DNA. And so exactly like you said, it's cheaper though, but it's cheaper. But then what's the cost? It's hard. I mean, I find most patients want to try their own and exhaust that possibility before moving on. So the whole thing does become like intense and emotional and costly. And so it's hard, Um, but that's where I think it's like a trifecta. It's the doctor, the patient, and sort of the social supports that we have to help make a decision that makes sense. Yeah, um, wow. So much good information here. Thank you so much for chatting with us. No I definitely educated me. Lauren, you knew a bit more, but still, like, thank you so much. We, we can awesome. come out, I feel, a lot, uh, a lot more confident in my own life. <laughs> thank yeah, you. I and really I think do. it's just really important to keep these conversations going. I know you have um, an Instagram account that you have to help break down some of the stigmas and the misconceptions around this process and these options. And we'd love you to just sort of plug all of the ways that people can get that information, get in touch with you and just find the support if this is a area that they're considering. For sure. So yeah, I run a blog called The Conception Diaries, and it has a lot of information sort of provided by physicians, myself being the founder. And it has a lot of good, like quick blogs that really describe each fertility treatment from a doctor's perspective, but in terms that you can understand. So definitely check it out. Um, I'm also part of a company called Lilia that does um, home fertility testing for patients like yourself who um, are interested in finding out their fertility, but they don't want to schlep all the way to a doctor's office and have the whole console of an ultrasound. 
they can do home fertility testing. So that's something that you can look up to. I'm definitely going to look up that. Yeah. So 100%. Lilia, L-I-L-I-A and Perfect. the Conception <laughs> Diaries, the Conception Diaries. And then, you know, family doctors are super open. So it's very easy, you know, if you're struggling with fertility issues or if you just want to know about your fertility or if you're a single person thinking about freezing your eggs, ask your family doctor for a referral. And as a, you know, you've met me now, I'm Dr. Prati Sharma. I work at Create Fertility Center, so you can ask for a referral to myself, um, and your referral can be sent to attention myself, and we're very good about getting patients in quickly and seeing Aww. them, and doing a consult and a fertility evaluation and sort of discussing options for treatment, or we just say everything looks great. Come back when you're ready. Yeah, for sure. And can you just share your social handles? Uh, Instagram, you can find me on The Conception Diaries. That's our blog, so just The Conception Diaries or Create Fertility Center has all of the doctors that create, including myself, as well as lots of valuable information. Um, you can also find me on Facebook under Dr. Prathi A. Sharma. I have my own Facebook page, so you can go there to see more information about myself. We also have a Facebook page for Create Fertility Center. You can look that up as well, and there's lots of great information about Create. The Conception Diaries also has a Facebook page that you can look up. And we also have um, an egg freezing app um, that you can look up that's not just from Create, but it's sort of developed by Create to see if egg freezing is something for you. So you can look that up as well. So lots of avenues for information through myself and our clinic um, that are pretty easy to find. Amazing. Great. Well, I'll be seeing you soon. So thank you so, so Amazing. much. Thank, Thank you, you and we'll share them. Me on the show. Of yeah. course, we're glad you were able to come and we'll share those all on our site as well. Thank you again, Dr. Sharma. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Wow, what a great F with her. Yeah, that was awesome. And I think we learned so much and I hope we gave a lot of other people some really good information to, you mm -hmm. know, maybe make some decisions that they weren't sure about prior yeah and, some more options they didn't even know existed yeah exactly and just feeling more comfortable and confident in whatever choices that they want to make for their life yeah it is such a personal decision and it's so comforting to know that we have um different ways to go about it so thanks dr sharma we love you yeah and hopefully you know if anybody was considering becoming a donor like that maybe opened up some you know new feelings on that for people um you know it was a bit difficult for me to talk about it because I know that there is so many different opinions and like judgments. That's but the point. Fuck it. Yeah, no, I feel totally good about it. Like I yeah. know that the people that have become parents because of, you know, my eggs, I feel proud and happy and excited for. So um yeah. But I think that it just is really important that a lot of the stigma around like how a family is created gets removed. There isn't any one way or a right way. Well, not anymore. Like before yeah. there was one way because there was only the one yes. way. We didn't have the options and the technology that we do now. Fuck. Yeah. There's so many advancements and this is just, of course, there's these advancements in this realm as well, right? Yeah. And obviously that's just going to continue and continue. Yeah. Oh, God. Like, I bet you one day people won't even be pregnant. Yeah, that will be weird, though. That'll be great by me. Yeah. <laughs> Jess is waiting for that day. Yeah. <laughs> Freeze your eggs until that happens. Yeah. I'm like 100. I'm like, oh, I'm finally a mother. <laughs> no, At least I didn't terrible. have to carry. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. But 
I think that uh, this episode has been crazy long. And before we <laughs> end it, we definitely want to close out with a ride or die because it's been a couple. Yay. And um, so, Jess, you want to kick it off? Yeah, I'll let you guys know. This is hilarious. Um, so we got this in from a listener. She, oh my fucking God, poor thing. I'll just read it to you. So in college, I went home with a guy that I met out. We hooked up, had a great time. Definitely super crushing on him. Went back to his condo and y'all know the drill. So he left for work in the morning and told her to just chill and relax. And uh, I guess with that comes a shower and a shit. (laughs) As per all morning after hangovers and hookups. Anyway, so this is like my worst fucking nightmare ever. But she got up, showered, shit, clogged the toilet. Instant panic ensued, obviously, especially since she really liked him and it just wasn't going down. So naturally, (laughs) she did what anyone would do, I guess, (laughs) and grabbed a plastic bag and scooped it out of the toilet. toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, So then it gets so much better because she packed it by the door to to go with her down the garbage chute when she was leaving and just locked the door um, and went to grab it and realized she left it in the house with the door locked. Okay, just to like clarify that one part though, the door automatically locks yeah. after you leave the condo. Yeah. And so when she left, she realized that she the didn't shit take was still in there. on the other side of the door. Yeah, so in the bag. In the bag. <laughs> so she could not get back in. So... Long story (laughs) short, though, they actually, after I'm sure she had like a hundred heart attacks and panic attacks and crying, um, they actually, the guy actually called her back and they were dating and they're still together. So it's cute as fuck and hilarious as fuck. (laughs) He is a ride or die dude. Yeah, that's how she knew he was ride or die because he did not ghost her after finding a bag of shit in his condo. I don't know what I would have done. Like, obviously I'm open about shitting, but like. I probably would have called him immediately and said, is this what I think it is? No, I would have called the guy. uh, If I, oh, oh, that you did it. Yeah. And been like, listen, dude, this insane thing happens. Don't open the bag. I'm mortified, (laughs) but also thought it would be worse if I left a fucking steaming shit in your toilet (laughs) for when you got home. Because maybe he would think it was like an insult or like a diss. Like, fuck you. Last night sucked. Here's my dirty shit. She forgot to flush her shit. Well, you never know how he would construe that. Anytime I see a shit left in a toilet, I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I don't enjoy it. I just flush it, (laughs) but, but I just mean like, I don't know. I think that could have come across a couple different ways. So if it was me, I would have called him and been like, dude, this is what happened. I'm so embarrassed. I would have had to. I understand if you never want to see me or talk to me again, I was just trying not to make you feel grossed out or whatever, which now he would definitely have felt grossed out because there's a bag of my shit in your apartment. How much closer can you get to somebody than their shit? Lifting up their shit. Outside of the toilet. Okay. But the thing is, (laughs) at least he didn't come in the house see a bag and was like oh what's this and open it and then see a bag of shit that's yeah. even weirder <laughs> imagine if you open a bag and you left a, like a person here in your bed and you open a bag and you find their sh- anyways oh my god but i think also like if he found it in the toilet he could maybe have thought it was his and forgot to flush and be like oh my god i'm so embarrassed i forgot to flush my shit this morning and that poor girl had to see it. i would probably play it off no, like that no what if he didn't shit 
That's only a foolproof. I'd be like, you did shit. You just don't remember. You don't remember your shit. <laughs> no, you call and be like, I think you forgot to flush your shit. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, you were weird. I never shit. <laughs> like, I never shit in the morning. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but most guys are regular and they do go in the morning. Yeah, I go in the morning. I never do. You never do, period. So. I know, that's true. Okay. <laughs> we're not we're not going down that rabbit hole. <laughs> no, that's another one. We should get a digestive doctor on here because um that's super important to do. And yeah, I mean you should yeah, you should Anyways, be regular. Yeah. But it, okay. So <laughs> we need another one. <laughs> one more and then we promise we're done for this episode. Uh this is super quick and just hilarious, and I feel like a lot of us can relate. So this girl wrote in and she said, I knew my friend was ride or die. When she answered the phone while having sex because she knew I was in a crisis. <laughs> like, I mean, that's serious. Honestly, I would do a, that for you. BFF. I would do that for you, too. I would do that for you. Yeah. I would tell you. I'd be like, oh, I would for sure tell you. I'm having sex, but what's up? Yeah. Like, is it crisis? Do I need stream? to stop? Yeah. <laughs> or can yeah. I call you back in can probably I, like a minute? A minute, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then our guys look at us like, thanks. Fuck yeah. you, bitch. <laughs> like, let's just be real, babe. Yeah. You know, it's true. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that that's, I think that's pretty ride or die. I think that's ride or die, too, because obviously that's a very excusable moment to not answer the phone. But when your girl is in trouble, you fucking answer your call. Yeah. If you, Especially if you knew that there was something up with her and she needed you. You're there. Like, no, no matter no, what. D would make me not answer that call. Yeah. Or like if you're shitting. I actually call people while I'm shitting. <laughs> why waste time and be alone true, true. fair <laughs> i always am on the toilet all the time <laughs> sometimes y'all know sometimes you don't i feel like i haven't known i except when you pee i hear you pee oh yeah well sometimes if it's like if it's a loud one i'm gonna mute that part <laughs> i'm like jess did you go somewhere I, did like, you hang up <laughs> yeah click yeah what yeah <laughs> every other word <laughs> Anyways, okay. <laughs> anyway, that was this episode of how I knew my friend was ride or die. And hope you guys love this episode. Don't forget to use coupon code HERSPECTIVE20 for 20% off at intamopleasurables.com. We'll Let have, us know how you like the product. Yeah, order it, get it, use it. Let us know because no one's going to be disappointed, I don't no, think. 100%. And yeah, so until next time, guys. Bye, guys. Bye.